Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. Today, we're talking to the co-founder of one of the largest real estate crowdfunding platforms and how she built a Jillian Hellman. So I'm really excited about that. Before we get into that, I want to mention if you are interested in investing passively in a syndication, We'd love to have a conversation with you at Nighthawk Equity. Go to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button. You can schedule a call with us and see if investing with us is right for you. Also, on the note of Nighthawk, we're actually looking for a transaction manager right now. So if you know how to run the process of buying and selling real estate and you want to work with the best syndication out there, buying and selling gigantic transactions, then we want to hear from you. So go to nighthawkequity.com forward slash careers, find out more and apply. I also want to give a shout out to SD Wire 258 on Apple Podcasts who left us a review. Thank you for that. Amazing content on a weekly basis. Michael and Garrett have dramatically increased my knowledge in the multifamily space. That's what we're here to do. So I really appreciate that as well. And we have always a student highlight someone who's done their first deal. And that has been Kobe and Cy Courtois. And they've used the SDA, they've closed three deals and are about to close on their fourth. Now they have a total of 160 doors valued of $8 million and have averaged a raise of $500,000 per deal. That's amazing. And even more amazing, they've been able to leave their W-2 job and pursue multifamily full-time. And if you want to check out our mentoring program and accelerate your results, do bigger deals faster, avoid the bigger mistakes, and really work one-on-one with a syndic- full-time syndicator, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Check it out. Apply and just have a conversation. No obligation, just to see if that's right for you. So I want to bring in here our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? What are we talking about today, Garrett? What do the people want to know? Oh, man, we're talking about some cool stuff with the multifamily market because it's all crazy right now. Is it? Yeah, good and bad. So we've got what we got going on right now. I mean, we've got obviously inflation is just all over the headlines, nonstop news about inflation is going up. And then we've got our first tidbit of maybe negative news in the markets around interest rates going up. And it's an interesting time. Definitely. It feels a little bit like in the markets, like when COVID kind of first hit and everyone's kind of looking around, I think long-term it's still a very positive outlook, but but right now it's what's been going on is we we're seeing the Fed make these rapid hikes. And so interest rates are going up. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring spending down. There's so much liquidity in the market. So they want to make money not so cheap anymore. They want it to be expensive so that there's less money in the markets moving around, causing all this inflation. And so they, they've decided to make these big jumps, the biggest since 94. Now, it, it does impact things like residential real estate. Really, Let's just say they're raising rates by, you know, last time I think it was 75 bips, basis points. So that'll have a direct impact on things like car loans, on things like residential loans, you know, just like private lending. But then when it comes to commercial loans, a little bit different. It does affect it, but it becomes baked in in advance. So they already know that the, the rate hike's coming and you'll see like the 10-year treasury or a SOFR 
go up a little bit and then maybe the spreads move out a little bit, but it's not exactly in tandem with whatever the Fed is saying. So it's good for us as, as commercial real estate owners. Now we, we knew this was coming at some point, so we can't be too shocked, but you know, luckily we're in a really stable asset class. That's that's just really a great place to be because we're still hedging against inflation at a faster rate than the interest rates are rising. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So I th- I think we're seeing some some volatility in the more in the debt markets specifically right now. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Plus, like you said, rates have moved really quickly in a in a really yeah over a short period of, of time. So we're seeing some of our rate caps go up. We're seeing some retrading and some of the by some of the lenders happening. So there's some volatility. It does remind me after three, four months after COVID, where some of the bridge lending went entirely away. And so during that time, though, we did two deals. And I think he who finds the right debt is going to win and pick up some nice deals over the next six to nine months. So in the short term, we're all trying to figure out how to get into a deal, how to underwrite it, things of that nature. But I think there's going to be a massive opportunity because currently there are more sellers than than buyers, and that's going to benefit us as well. From a macro perspective, though, like you said, I'm I'm really optimistic about where it's going, primarily because of inflation, right? In an inflationary environment, real estate is going to be king. We saw in the last 12 months, inflation drove up our rents, and therefore, my gosh, the portfolio went up by like 40% in like 12 12 months. It's it's insane. Now interest rates are going up. That is true. And so it's making it less insane. But before COVID, it was less insane. It was just, quote, hot. So it's just going to go from insane back to hot with slightly higher interest rates. So overall, as inflation goes up, it's going to continue driving up rents and therefore values. So I continue to be bullish on the market. But in the short term, we got to figure out how to how to get into the right debt product as, as well. So with that, let's get into the show here because we asked Jillian about her outlook and market. She sees literally hundreds of deals and, and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars investors. She has a banking background as well. She's the one who built Realty Mogul. That's an online marketplace for investing in real estate. And she told her mom at age 17 that she wanted to be in the money business. And of course, she is now. She grew up in the banking industry, spent time with brokers, real estate lenders, and trust officer, officers. And it really gives her a 360-degree view of wealth management, not just from a real estate perspective, but equities and banking. And it's been it's going to be really cool to have her on a show and get a perspective of what's going on in the market right now. So let's get right here in the show with Jillian Hillman. Hey, Jillian, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. So you grew up in a household of entrepreneurs. What was that like early on? Yeah, I did. So, you know, we started talking about real estate and business at the dinner table. You know, I was like two, three years old. My my dad was an entrepreneur. My mom was an entrepreneur, grew up in a big family. And so I feel like I, I sort of grew up in this really unique environment where I learned a lot about what I didn't want to do. So my dad was in the import export business. He was manufacturing physical products in China, shipping them into the US. And I, I'll never forget, I said, I, I never want to do something with physical inventory. So then I went into real estate, right? Which are like, you know, massive buildings, but they can't be shipped. So non-shippable buildings. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I grew up with a, in a family of non-entrepreneurs. In fact, I don't even know an entrepreneur was a thing. So I'm super jealous and I'm trying to change that with, with my kids as well. Now you have a fantastic background, but you have a background in banking, but I'm less interested in that, but I'm interested about your, your startup days from Realty Mogul. What was, what was that like? Like, what was a startup like? Sure. So I started the company in my living room. And I'll never forget, it was the middle of summer. I didn't have air conditioning. And so I'll 
you know, I would pull the curtains through the entire room just to try and get some reprieve from the heat. But it, it was that time. It's so exciting. Like I, I'm so nostalgic for it now, but it was the time where as a CEO, you did everything, right? You weren't really a CEO. You were really, you know, chief janitor and chief everything else. So I was calling clients directly. I was, you know, sourcing all the real estate companies that we were doing business with. If there was an ad that was going out, I was writing that ad. If there was an email that was going out, I was writing that email. So it's it's really this, you know, really in the weeds time where there's no employees, right? And when there's no employees and there's no people to help you build the team and the company, you're really in the weeds doing everything. I, I used to call every single new sign up on our website and personally welcome them, but I didn't want them to know that I was the CEO, right? So I wouldn't identify themselves myself as the CEO. I would just say, hi, you know, I'm calling on behalf of Realty Mogul. Thank you so much for signing up. You know, if you have any questions, feel free to call us. But I made, you know, thousands of welcome calls in the early days. You know, people listening to us, they want to do, you know, they want to start and own in their multifamily real estate and become financially free and just go out on their own. And so Anyone who starts, who leaves their corporate job and starts their own company, they kind of go kind of through a similar thing, right? They There's doubt, self-doubt, there's some setbacks. What were some of the challenges that you faced early on when you left your job and, and started Realty Mogul? Yeah, so I invested my own capital to start the company, but you know that only went so far, right? And so we needed capital for the business, right? Not for the real estate transactions, but for the operating company. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go out and raise a seed round. And it was going to be a million dollars. So the idea was to go out and raise a seed round of a million dollars. I probably had a hundred coffee meetings where a hundred times somebody told me no. And I don't drink coffee, so I'm I'm an anti-caffeine person. So you can you can think about how painful that was, you know, not not drinking coffee and also hearing the word no. It was the hardest million dollars that I ever raised. It's a good thing right? you don't I mean, love now, bourbon because that would have been even more more challenging. A <laughs> hundred bourbon meetings. True. <laughs> True. But, you know, it was the hardest million dollars that I've ever raised. I mean, I've now been involved in, you know, over a billion dollars in capital raising. And had I not stuck it out to raise that first million dollars, the company wouldn't exist. And it's kind of the advice that I give a lot of entrepreneurs who ask me for advice. I say, just keep going, right? The only person that can kill your business is you. But just keep going, right? And keep persevering and, and keep fighting. And so, you know, I think it was the hundredth and third meeting that, you know, one of the one of the investors said, yeah, I'm in. And then from there, it was it was a lot more smooth sailing on that first million. And this is such great advice. And this is one thing I notice as well for people is to have to stick with it. But man, 103, 102 unsuccessful meetings, it's a pretty, it's a pretty bad record, Jillian. I mean, holy moly. How did you get to that 100 second? Like, why did you even go past like the 12th, right? Like, why did you keep doing it? I think I, I really believed in this idea, right? I really believed in this idea of democratizing access to real estate. And so, you know, we've always been a mission-oriented company, right? We, we don't think that real estate should strictly be available to, you know, the folks who know somebody at the country club, right? The, the world has just evolved so far beyond that. So I think that I had confidence in the idea, but probably I'm just, I, I was stubborn and naive. You know, this was 10 years ago. I was much younger, much more naive. You know, I, I always ask myself, like, if I was, Face with that again today, could I still do it? And, and the true question is, I don't know, right? But 10 years ago, I didn't know any better. Like I, I didn't, I was just so naive that there was never a doubt in my mind that I was going to do it. It was just a matter of, you know, how much pain and suffering can I go through? That's so funny because I, I feel the same way about my first deal. I would never do that first deal because I was, you, we used a nice word naive. I was ignorant. I had happy ears on. And I was so confident I could do that. And, and, and you do it again. You're like, I would never do that again. You know, and so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so funny, but talk about what Realty Mogul is. Cause we've kind of hinted at, and some people may not know what Realty Mogul is and you know, what is it? What do you do? 
Sure, sure. So we're an online platform for real estate investing. On one side of the platform, we've got real estate companies. And on the other side of the platform, we have investors who are looking to diversify into real estate. So those investors can come to our platform and browse a a whole variety of real estate investments from multifamily, office, retail, industrial, self-storage, cold storage, mobile home parks, you know, kind of the list goes on. And real estate companies can use our technology and use our administrative services to access capital for their offerings. So, you know, we've built this marketplace where investors can be connected to real estate deals, real estate companies can be connected to investors. And really the mission is to expand access to real estate investing. You know, I think it's a really critical part of a diversified portfolio. You know, a lot of folks in the country, you know, have really easy access to stocks and bonds, but when it comes to private real estate investing, they sort of don't know where to go, right? And so we really wanted to solve that problem and make real estate much more accessible. And there's quite a few you know, syndicators out there, you're a little bit different because you're just, you're connecting. And I'm, I know you're, you know, very involved in the markets to a degree, but what makes Realty Mogul different than everyone else? Cause it's such a really modernized, chic platform, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. You know, it, it's maybe a, a strange question, but I think it's twofold. One, like we always talk internally about perfect the basics, right? So if someone calls us, like pick up the phone, right? Don't send that to voicemail. If somebody emails you, respond to that email within one day, even if your response is, hey, I'm working on it. I don't have the answer yet, right? So I think that it's that level of client service. We also believe in white glove service. So every accredited investor that comes on the platform gets a dedicated investor relations representative that they can reach out to directly if they have any questions about the platform. So we're a digital platform, but we also still really believe in human connection, right? And in having a dedicated person that you can talk to and being able to have an intelligent real estate conversation, you know, we host webinars for every single deal. So we're, we're very focused on education as well. So even if someone, you know, doesn't want to make an investment with us, you know, I just deeply believe that people should be educated about real estate investing, which is why I do, you know, podcasts like this. And they're a lot of fun to, you know, help build more awareness. But I, I really think that it's, it's our culture, it's our people, it's the white glove service, you know, that sets us apart from many of the other platforms in the space. Those are back to basics. It's kind of a lost art, like the handwritten note, for example. I love that. Talk about how it's different to invest with Realty Mogul versus investing in a private placement, in a syndication, kind of like what we do. What are, what are some of the differences? I mean, I, there's probably not very many differences, right? The the offerings that are posted on the platform well, are the minimum, private syndications. The minimum investment, for example, right? I mean, ours in the meantime is 100000 Most are minimum $50,000 and yours is substantially less than that. So it, it opens up, like you said, real estate to almost a masses. Right, right. I mean, yeah, typically the minimums are between 25000 and 35000 So the way it works on the Realty Mogul platform is that you can either choose to invest in an individual deal that is a syndication, right? So crowdfunding, in my mind, is just a synonym with syndication, right? You're pooling capital together with other investors that you may or may not know. So those are individual transactions. We also have two real estate investment trusts or REITs on the platform, and those are diversified pools of assets, right? So if you want to buy a specific apartment building, you're going to buy into an individual asset. If you want to buy you know, a pool of apartment buildings or a pool of you know, apartment buildings and retail and office, and you want to get broader-based diversification, we also have two REITs you know, that allow investors to do that. So REITs, okay, let's bring that up because a lot of people confuse investing in syndications or with Realty Mogul and a REIT. How is a REIT similar or different to real estate, right? Are these, these, are, are these publicly traded REITs? Like how, how are they different? Why would someone invest in one or the other? 
Yeah. So look, if you're investing in an individual asset, it really gives you control, right? You have total control over the selection process. You can pick investments in a specific location. Maybe it's a place that you live. Maybe it's a place that you know well. And you also select a specific property. So maybe you want exposure to office or retail or industrial or self-storage, et cetera. When you invest in a REIT, on the other hand, the Realty Mogul team is making that selection. So our team has discretion over which assets that capital is going to go to invest into. So you lose a little bit of control as an investor, right? If you want control, you're probably better off going in an individual deal. If you want to sort of set it and forget it, you might be better off going into you know, one of those REITs. But the REITs tend to be diversified. So you can get exposure you know, across markets, across different business strategies, in some instances across you know, different property types. We, we have one REIT that's strictly apartments. It's called the Apartment Growth REIT. And we have another REIT called the Realty Mogul Income REIT that's more focused on diversified product mix. So it has some office, it has some retail, you know, also has some apartments in it. So, you know, and then the, the other difference is the tax treatment. So you're investing in an individual deal, you get a K-1, that will allow you to write off, you know, depreciation off of your taxes. If you're investing in the REITs, you get a 1099 that reports, you know, your dividends earned and the capital gain, you know, distributions, if there are any that were paid throughout the year. And then REIT shareholders can also deduct 20% of the taxable REIT dividend income. So, you know, there's some tax benefits there as well, but, you know, difference in tax treatment, difference in controls, difference in the amount of sort of energy and effort that you have to spend, you know, doing your own due diligence as well. How does this fit into, so if I'm a, an investor and how does this fit into kind of a more diversified portfolio? How is this complements, let's say equities? Most people, you know, they just invest in equities. How should they think of this in their portfolio? Real answer is going to be it depends, right? So, you know, a lot of folks are working with an investment advisor or otherwise to kind of figure out what, what is the best breakdown of their portfolio for them, right? And, you know, you can take the old Warren Buffett approach, like invest in what you know, right? I'm personally way over allocated to real estate because it's what I know. It's what I, you know, live, eat, breathe, dream in. That's the language that I speak. But other investors, you know, could be in, in other asset classes, right, that they may know well. So, I think it really depends on the investor. And I think getting clarity on, you know, like what's your risk and reward profile, right? What's your appetite for risk? How much do you want invested in equities? How much do you need liquid, right? I mean, one of the downsides of private real estate investing is these are illiquid assets, right? So, I mean, we know the business plans might be five years or seven years or 10 years. So I always say to investors, like, please don't give us your dinner table money, right? Like don't invest with that capital. This is, you know, long-term, you know, kind of real estate allocation. It's not going to be liquid. So I think figuring out, you know, what's the liquidity need and also what kind of duration are you comfortable with? Are you comfortable with three years? Are you comfortable with 10 years? And then I think beyond that, it's getting a really deep understanding of one's risk and reward profile. So, you know, if the stock market goes up 20% and you're super happy, but if the stock market goes down 20%, you know, are you going to fall apart, right? Or are you going to be able to hold through that cycle? It's really no different in real estate, right? If you think about you know the different ways that you can invest, you can invest in core deals, you can invest in value add deals, you can invest in opportunistic deals. Opportunistic tends to be you know the highest return profile and the highest risk. You can think of that as you know like development deals. Value add tends to be you know the middle of the risk profile. You can think of that as like a you know value add apartment building where you're going to invest. $10,000 to do carpets and paint and that kind of thing. And then you can think of core deals, which tend to be more stabilized in you know, stronger markets. Those are very different risk and reward profiles, and they're still within the context of real estate. So I think an investor understanding where do they want to play, 
within what risk profile and then what percentage of their capital do they want to allocate to those strategies? So my obvious question following this is how did you decide on the, re- first of all, why did you choose to add REITs into the platform? And then how do you vet and decide who you work with? Sure. So, you know, I think in building companies, one of the most critical things is to listen to your clients, right? So there's two approaches in building companies. One is the, you know, Henry Ford approach, which is you can have any car so long as it's a, you know, Ford and it's black, right? Where you're building like totally homogenous, you know, product. And then on the flip side of that is listen to your customers. I'm not Henry Ford. So we listen to our customers and we just had so many people saying, Hey, I don't want to pick and choose each individual asset. I want someone to do that for me. Can you please just build me a vehicle where I can make one investment, get diversification and sort of set it and forget it. So that was the, the creation of the REITs or sort of why we created the REITs. As far as how transactions get on the platform, real estate companies use our technology and use our services to raise capital for their offerings. So the offerings on the platform are you know, these real estate companies who come to us but we have minimum qualifications. So we're you know, looking at the track record of those real estate companies. We're running criminal checks. We're running background checks. And then we also have quality control measures. So we're looking at environmental reports. We're looking at property condition reports. You know, what we're trying to do is mitigate you know, any risk of fraud, any reputational risk. What we can't do is guarantee anything, right? So we can't guarantee returns. We can't guarantee outcomes. I mean, so much of that is just so far out of our control but we have minimum qualifications and then quality control standards for every transaction. So I'm really excited about our mentoring program because of the results that we're achieving for our students. It's really the only program out there that guarantees results, meaning that we can guarantee you're going to do your first deal in the first 12 months. And uh, no one else does that. And we can do that because we have figured out the blueprint to getting people to do your first deal. So if you value mentorship, and you feel like it can accelerate your goals, allow you to scale bigger and avoid the expensive mistakes, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. You can can schedule a call with us there, a strategy session, and see if mentoring is right for you. That's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. What is your outlook for the market? And obviously, you know, you split it in real estate and different classes of real estate and also in equities, right? Like, what's your general outlook? Yeah, I mean... What do I think is going to happen? So let me start by saying, like, I'm not a fortune teller, so I will likely be, you know, wrong than I will be right, and I, I'd probably be, you know, in a different business doing something else if I was a, a better fortune teller. But if I if I look at the macro environment right now, I am very concerned about the growing inequality between the wealthy and the not wealthy. And the reason that I start there is that the pieces of the economy that are being most impacted by inflation right now are food, energy, and housing. And it is getting more and more expensive for the average person in this country to be able to live a you know, quality or either rational life because of the cost of food, energy, and housing. And what I really worry about is that given this inflationary environment, I, I don't think that the Fed can fight inflation by increasing rates. It's going to make an impact, but I really think that the core of the issue is the supply chain. Right. We turned off the supply chain during COVID. It's been disrupted for two years. It's probably going to take about two years to come back. And that two years probably started three to six months ago. So we're probably 18 months out from the supply chain normalizing, which I think will in and of itself really help with inflation, in addition to the Fed measures. But the Fed can't fix the supply chain by increasing rates. Right. In some respects, they may further disrupt the supply chain by increasing rates because it makes it more expensive to, you know, finance 
factories or buildings or you know new trucks or whatever it is that these companies need to fix the, the underlying supply chain issues. The Fed is reactive. They're rarely, if ever, proactive, and they typically overshoot. So what I think is going to happen right now, and again, like not investment advice, please don't trade on this, do your own research. But what I think is going to happen is the Fed is going to overshoot. I think that it's going to create a tremendous amount of social unrest because people can't don't have food, energy, and housing. I think that is going to lead to increased crime, which I'm really concerned about in this country. And I think that the Fed is going to react the other direction. We're going to see more quantitative easing and we're going to see rates come down quickly. Now, if that happens in 18 months, 24 months, 36 months, 48 months, I'm not smart enough to know, you know the exact timing. But what that means is I think that as you see dislocation in this market, whether it's equities, whether it's real estate, you know, anytime you're investing, you'd rather invest near the bottom than near the top, right? The big question is how long is it going to take to get to the bottom? I think this is going to be pretty fast. I mean, when you look at the 0809 crisis, it took us until 2012 to see the bottom of the real estate market, almost four years. You look at what happened in COVID, the bottom of the real estate market, you know, COVID hit March 2020. The bottom of the real estate market that cycle was probably July or August 2020. I mean, it was so fast because of the dissemination of information, because of social media, because of you know how quickly the VIX volatility index moves, how quickly sentiment changes. I mean, one of the things that I, one of the metrics I love to track is how many people are Googling recession. Have you guys seen the stats on this? They've just skyrocketed. I mean, in the last 30 days, they've just totally skyrocketed. So we're, we're convincing ourselves to go into a recession, right? I mean, these things are self-fulfilling, right? So you know, that's personally what I believe will happen. I think there's going to be tremendous opportunity to acquire real estate in this economic dislocation. I think that it'll be faster than historical inflation, or rather faster than historical downturns because of social media, because of, you know, some of the issues that I think that are going to present themselves to the Fed and, and there being a retrenchment of Fed policy. The other thing you have to think about is just how much debt the U.S. government has. So having high rates for an extended period of time is not a good thing for the U.S. government, right? Like one of my favorite slogans is don't fight the Fed. You know, when I think about those things, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting time. As far as like where we're at right now, it feels a lot like we're in the middle of kind of like when COVID first started, honestly, like just the the sentiment of the market. It's like people are, are really cautious. We're seeing less people willing to go out and invest dollars, which is surprising to me. We're seeing banks actually with less liquidity. That's why I just had a call this morning. And I guess a lot of the people are just spending money on everyday living or or something, but there's less liquidity inside the banks. So I love your analysis, by the way. I think it was really thoughtful. We think about the world as, you know, can you pick up really high quality assets in really high quality markets during this downturn? right? In an environment where you wouldn't be able to pick up that piece of real estate prior. And I think there's going to be opportunities to do that. Now on the flip side, you know, do I want to be buying, you know, tertiary real estate in a market with no liquidity? Maybe, right? And the reason I say maybe is that if those cap rates adjust so wide, if, if, if the cap rate spread between, you know, that market and a secondary market or a primary market adjusts, right? I wouldn't do that in today's market, but if that adjusts, and we're seeing it adjust quickly, right? But if that adjusts, that liquidity is going to come back, right? People forget when they're in the heat of, you know, a, a recession or in the heat of a downturn, like this is cyclical. It's always been cyclical. It will always come back. You don't know how fast it's going to come back. You don't know how, to what extent it's going to come back, but, but these are cyclical times. And so I think that the number one inhibitor of good investors is emotion. 
right? We're emotional beings. Human, human beings are emotional creatures. But if you can set that emotion aside, there's going to be tremendous opportunities, but there's also going to be some really terrible opportunities, right? And so that's where I think knowledge and the expertise makes a big difference. Yeah. And so I think that there's this side where it feels like everybody's being emotional right now, <laughs> to me, at least. It's like every, a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines, like sitting, wait. And so then there's that part of me that's like, all right, now it's time to pounce. But I think the keeping the fundamentals in play of looking for opportunities where there's maybe maybe assets in, in areas that, like you said, you can't really, you wouldn't normally have access to. They're, they're in areas of the market that now all of a sudden they're popping loose. And before they were just going to sit for a long time. You know, I, what, what I've been seeing at least is a lot of the lower class areas. So maybe the D class, they're, they're getting overlooked by lenders and, and by purchasers. There's a ton of inventory hitting the markets right now. And the ones that are trading are, are only those really that are highly desirable and, and well-located areas for the most part just generalizing. I don't want to be too specific on it, but we're seeing so those so banks don't want to lend on those in in the bad areas necessarily or people don't want to buy them at the same pricing. You're seeing a lot of retrades and all that stuff. So there that fear is there. The question is really how long is it going to last? Are you still hunting at this point? And so I think what you're saying is you know, it's all specific. You have to look for individual opportunities depending on where you're at and and you know, it's really specific depending on what, on what you're looking at, right? So, and also your time horizon, right? I mean, if you're yeah. if you're looking to go in and do a value add deal and flip it in 18 months, probably not the right time. If you can underwrite that to a 10 year hold, or you can have an opportunity to exit the next 10 years, likely. So you're you're I'm sure you're really in tune with the debt. You you have your pulse on what's happening in the debt markets right now, like I do. What are you seeing on that front, and what how are you pivoting around what's happening? In the market. Yeah, I mean, so the biggest issue is that the increase in rate is bringing leverage down, right? That the DSCR coverage ratios are harder to meet because it's, your debt is more expensive, right? So as a result, you're seeing leverage come down. So where historically we would see, you know, on average 70 or 75% leverage on a lot of these value add deals, they're now coming in at 65%. So, you know, you need more equity, right? In some respects, like our business is even more important in an environment like this because we have real estate companies that are coming to us and saying, hey, I want to use your technology because all of a sudden my, you know, equity requirement is $4 million or higher, $6 million higher, you know, whatever it may be. So you're seeing increased equity, which in some respects is good, right? Anytime you bring leverage down, you're de-risking that transaction with the caveat that today's a really weird environment because you're borrowing it with dollars today and you pay them back with, you know, inflated dollars tomorrow. So I actually like leverage in, in today's environment. But I think that you're seeing lower leverage. I think that you're seeing, you know, a lot of companies go out and start using preferred equity, where historically there wasn't a very big preferred equity market because if your senior lender can get to 75 or maybe even 80% loan to cost, there's no room for preferred equity on that cap table. Today, I think there's room for pref equity on the cap table. So you're seeing a lot of you know, deals go to pref equity and having that be a, a piece of their capital stack. You're seeing other groups have lower leverage, raise more equity, and then the returns inherently are coming down. And then you're also seeing a lot of the you know, non-traditional lenders who really struggled the last you know, five, six, seven years when cash and liquidity were very high, start to be a lot more relevant. 
right? So like in the example of what you're talking about, Garrett, where you're going to buy a class C or class D property, run down, high crime, you know, not a strong tenant base, your banks aren't going to do that trade today, but your private money lenders are. And frankly, you know, if the banks are priced at five or 6% right now, and your private money lenders are at eight or nine, there's not as wide of a spread there as there used to be. Yeah, I, I love that analysis as well. It's just a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing the same way. And the pref equity, I didn't even think of that. That's such a true statement. It's like people still need to try to get the leverage. Maybe it's more hoops to jump through to get the pref equity, but they're like, well, I'd rather do that than not do the deal. They can't raise it otherwise. So I think that's a really, really sharp observation. Jillian, it has been so great having you. How can people get a hold of you? They want to find you. Yeah. So feel free to go to our website. We're realtymogul.com. It's free to sign up for an account, free to start learning. You can watch a ton of webinars on, you know, live real estate deals and hear, you know, 10, 20 different operators answer, you know, questions like these, right? How are they navigating this environment? Where do they see sort of a, the, the deals that they think are worth doing? And then if you want to find me personally, I'm active on LinkedIn. So feel free to drop me a note there. I'd love to connect. Super smart, really, really intriguing real estate investor and entrepreneur, Jillian. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I thought her, Jillian's observation about the gap between you know the wealthy and the less wealthy is widening. And I see that as well. I'm concerned about it as well, because the best way to hedge against inflation, of course, is with real estate or real assets in general. Well, if you don't have money to invest in real estate, you can't hedge against inflation, right? So therefore, you just become poor and there's really nothing you can do about it. It's really an awful, awful situation. And I am concerned about, you know, civil unrest as well. I'm concerned about, you know, the polarization of the states, you know, Joe versus Raid pushing those decisions back in the states. That doesn't matter what you think of where it should go or not. The point is now is that you're going to get, we're going to get polarization, more of the polarization in the states. And so people who feel strongly about one is going to move this state. People who move strongly about another are going to move in another state. And I and I think at one point, you know, there may even be some, you know, insurrection from states not following some kind of federal mandate that's coming along. So so I think the potential for civil unrest is definitely there. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I mean, you're adding in the layer of social media and technology to these big events that also adds to it as as well, which which can be you know, it's, it's, it can be a scary thing. You know, you just had, like you said, the Roe versus Wade, that's, that goes everywhere. And that really confused people. Like, I think people don't know which side they're on anymore when they see stuff like that. And, you know, I think just with regards to real estate though, as far as the, you know, the civil unrest, I always try to focus at least on quality in general, and just, just trying to stay above the clouds as far as where we're looking the types of assets we're looking at, the areas that we're investing in, it just makes things easier. The better the better quality areas that you can focus on, I think those are the ones that are going to make it make better returns than than any of them in the long run, even in the short term, because it's just a more desirable place to be in general. I mean, you and Jillian even mentioned that a bit. You know, you you buy in the right corner, someone wants that piece of property, it doesn't matter what's going on. It's always going to be a, something that people want. And so going back to the gap between, you know, the wealthy and the poor, I think, I think she's definitely right about that. You know, there's, there's definitely some pressure on those sides, but if you buy in a place that 
let's say you need, you know, you need to get higher rents to make that performer work necessarily. Now you have the ability to attract all kinds of people that that are going to live there that want to either, you know, better their lives or maybe people that have fallen on hard times, you know, that were living in A class to want to come down into B class, something like that. So you have a little bit more flexibility just as long as your locations are desirable. And, you know, that's that's really a, I think a good point. Well, another point you just brought up is, you know, you said you don't, you don't want your head in the clouds. And I, I think that's definitely something that can distract and derail you in fear right now because everything that's going on. And, and, and so there is so much stuff going on, but really, how does it directly relate to your investing? Really, honestly, my experience has been both of my personal experience and also studying this is when there's great fear is the time to buy. I mean, even Warren Buffett says that right now. And so therefore, by definition, if you believe that now is the time to buy, the question is how? How do you buy it, right? I do think that we're going to get amazing opportunities right now with the, for the next six months specifically where there's some volatility, uncertainty going on. Once it stabilizes again, we may have to deal with a, with a mild recession. But I think right now the uncertainty and how quickly the interest rate's moving and Joe versus Wade and people are like, oh my gosh, I think I'm just going to sit on the sideline. And I think that's a mistake. I mean, certainly it's a conservative way to do it, but I think it's a mistake. And and we're not sitting on the sideline. Now, we haven't bought anything yet, but this is only because we're trying to figure out how to get into the game. And we did this right after COVID. We got into two deals that are fantastic because we sharpened our pencil and said, how can we get into this game? How can we, because at the time, if you remember, sellers wanted this price and the market all of a sudden was down here. How can we persuade sellers, educate them what's going on? Same thing right now. They want the prices for March and they were way up here and prices are now down here. And how do we educate? How do we get in there? How do we underwrite the deals? And then how do we get the right debt? And it, I think we're, we're weeks away from figuring out when we do, we're going to be in a great, great position to, to buy. Yeah, we, we had one of the first deals back from COVID. There was like a six-month gap almost where no one could buy yeah, bridge, anything at all. Bridge loan was were dead. Yeah, right? there was no bridge yeah. lending it at all. And yep. we came in and we're like, you know what? Let's This is how we pivot. We're going to go and get a 10-year arm agency debt. Well, we're going to have to raise more money because you know we're going to get lower leverage for that debt. But then we came in. Those deals just crushed it. But we, as soon as we hit the market with one of those, it was like, you know, a free feeding frenzy for people to invest. And then, you know, that was, I, if we didn't do those two deals, cause we were just scared on the sidelines and we would have missed out on a major, major opportunity. So just history repeats but it's itself. A, it's a great, it's a great example. So bridge loan went away. And the cool thing about bridge loan is got super low rates, super high leverage, and they, they, and you could finance the construction. Well, when they went away, this agency arm you're talking about, they would no longer finance construction. And the loan to value was super low. We're like, crap, it's the best thing we can do. And we started underwriting using those terms. And we were able to convince the seller that's where the market is because bridge loan was dead. And they could call their own their own broker. Yeah, they go, bridge loading is dead. This is the only thing that's got. You want to sell right now? This is how they're underwriting the deal. And it's the same thing right now. So we got to figure out what is that product for us and then educate our sellers who want or need to sell right now. And that's how we're going to get into the deal. But if this is a little bit, little bit too much for you right now, then we'd love to talk to you about investing passively with us whereas we're doing the heavy lifting. So talk to us at nighthawkequity.com. And if you want to get in there as an active investor, an entrepreneur who wants to buy and get in and syndicate these deals, consider working with a full-time syndicator in our mentoring program. So head on over to themichaelmike.com forward slash mentor and check it out. We'd love to have you. So hopefully you found this episode good. We're going to keep you posted here in future podcasts on, on market and things what, what we're seeing as well. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. 
take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.